Hi, I'm Sonia Jean Killebrew, and this is Black America and COVID, an oral history project. I started this project during Black History Month of 2022 because I wanted to provide a platform for Black Americans to share their stories about living, working, and or going to school during the COVID-19 pandemic. I also wanted to provide a space for people to memorialize someone who is a Black American who sadly lost their life during the COVID-19 pandemic. I was inspired by the work of Zora Neale Hurston, author and anthropologist, to record the experiences of Black Americans in their own voices. My goal is to get my recordings into museums such as the Smithsonian Museum of African American History and Culture, or the Schomburg, or the Library of Congress's Folklife Museum. I'll share a little bit about me and my family history, and then I'll speak to my guests. I'm a Black American. My dad was African American and Indigenous American. His ancestors were enslaved in Georgia. In fact, we still have our family's slave name, which is Killebrew. My dad, Dr. Terrence Killebrew, met my mom in graduate school at the New School in New York when they were both earning their master's degrees in psychology. And I'm a fourth generation teacher. So my mother is a retired New York City teacher. My grandmother was a teacher on the island of Jamaica for 20 years and then in New York for 20 years. My great-grandmother was a teacher in Jamaica up until she got married. She was the daughter of an Irish woman and a black man. She stopped working after she got married because it wasn't considered respectable for a married woman to continue working in the late 1800s. And ironically, my mother began teaching long after she got married in the late 1900s. So, Without further ado, I'm excited to speak with my guest today. Okay, my name is Melissa C. Potter. I am from a hodgepodge of places, uh, born in Jamaica, Queens, then shortly moved after that to uh, Rockland County. So Chestnut Ridge, New York is where I spent all of my childhood. And I am now a newly minted resident of Westchester County, living in Mount Vernon, New York. I didn't know you were born in Jamaica, Queens. That's where yeah. I live. Oh, we lived in Rochdale. Oh, that's where I grew up. Wow. Oh, my oh, gosh. Small world. Yeah, my dad is from the 40 Projects. Like, so Rochdale was moving on up Jefferson style back then. <laughs> yeah, it's a working class Black neighborhood now. Yeah. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah. And what would you like to share about your ancestry? Oh, wow. So only child, um, both parents, Black Americans, uh, New Yorkers for many generations. I, I could go back to my great-grandparents, at least, being born and raised in New York. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Uh, culturally, a mix of parents that were working class, working in uh, the criminal justice space. My mother was a correction officer for 20 years at Rikers. 
And my dad for 25 years was a, a captain court officer working out of Bronx criminal court. Um, and so I was the only one in my family to deviate from that criminal justice path. My aunt is a probation officer, another uh, close family friend is a Supreme Court judge. And so my expectation for myself was, you're going to go to law school. And then a very bad LSAT score led me to actually follow my passions, which were um, public relations and strategic communications. And so now I do social impact um, and strategy work. So I'm a VP of a strategy and impact for Paramount and all of the brands that I have under my umbrella are the ones we hopefully know and love, BET, MTV, Nickelodeon, CBS, and the list goes on. I'm a huge fan of TV and your work is very important. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. I didn't expect to land in TV. I always um, had years of experience in the music business and it's been an interesting pivot and I feel like I'm still learning the language of it and the metrics and measurement of it all, but it's, it's a very cool culture shifting space to be in. Oh, I love that. I look forward to hearing about that. A lot of people I've interviewed have talked about pivoting in their uh-huh. careers. So yes. it's, it's really good to hear. And so I'm, I've been asking people to, to start in 2020 and then go through time through 2021. That's so funny. what would you like to share about living and working during the pandemic? Yeah, so March 6, 2020, I remember I was six weeks back post-maternity leave from having my first child, um, who's now two and a half, and I was living in the Bronx um, near Yankee Stadium, me, my husband, and our then three, four-month-old daughter, and you know, the commute by train was something I was reacclimating to after a five-month maternity leave, but, mm-hmm. you know, got back into the rhythm of taking the iron horse, taking that four train to Midtown where my office was. And my job at the time was a documentary film company and the best, most heart-driven CEO who just kept monitoring the news that week. And I just remember all of us were kind of like, well, this is interesting. We don't kind of know what we're hearing. We're seeing something's happening in China. Mm -hmm. Couldn't make its way here. And he told all of us, it was about 11 in the morning on March 6, 2020, to gather in a, a shared office space. And he said, I feel like we should all go home. Mm -hmm. And let's just see, you know, maybe next week we'll be back, but go home today and see what happens. And from what I can tell, he was one of the early adopters to recognize this is not the safest space or there's a lot of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And I would rather my employees be safe, go home and learn to adapt their work skills in a virtual way um, Mm -hmm. sooner rather than later. And so I remember not wanting to take the train home. I called an Uber. It was like a $60 ride back to the Bronx just to be safe versus sorry. 
Mm-hmm. I didn't have a mask at the time. I, I didn't know any of the things that became norms to us for quite a few weeks later. And I came home to my husband and I explained to him, you know, what's going on. Now he works for MTA, which is um, New York City's transit system. And they were considered, um, you know, first line of defense for us, figuring out, you know, how to safely transport folks. You know, there was no way for him to actually take time off during COVID because his role is people facing and requires him to be on site uh, as a telecommunications engineer. So I was really worried about him and just his level of exposure for Mm -hmm. me and our infant daughter. Um, But all we could do was when he would get to the front door, Lysol spray him down, head to toe, have him like drop all his clothes, get right into the shower. And that became kind of our norm at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And then not too long after that, one of his colleagues came down with COVID and this was before testing was a regular thing. And he stayed home the entire 10 days to quarantine. Um, we still were not sure what to make of it. This was probably still March, like late March of 2020. Um, so after that time, it was kind of like when we were getting mixed messages about how you could catch it. I remember ordering grocery delivery and making sure I was spraying down my bags, wiping, putting gloves on, plastic gloves to take Mm -hmm. my groceries out of the bag. Not sure if like the contact with the Instacart delivery driver would be something to pass on the virus to us. Um, My mother was extremely paranoid bringing over bleach and cleaning supplies and gloves and masks and, you know, uh, disposable hazmat suits, like everything that she could get her hands on in addition to hoarding toilet tissue and paper (laughs) towel and beans and rice because who knew what this virus was going to shapeshift into or for how long. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was kind of what I remember of that initial wave. And then on the work front, much of the work that I did was in-person hosting film screenings and panel discussions. So it was all hands on deck, very high stress, figuring out how to adapt this in-person company model to a virtual space. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a lot of outbound solicitation to different companies. Hey, you have your staff working from home. We can host a virtual town hall for you or a virtual screening as a way to bring people together. And I think that was so much of the messaging at the time was about um, surviving isolation for those that lived alone or just weren't accustomed to virtual work life. Mm -hmm. And how could we strive towards togetherness, whether it was um, company cocktail mixers where you could get drinks sent to the house and everyone would at five o'clock turn their cameras on, have a little party. Um, My husband's also a DJ. He was getting booked for virtual events for big brands with 
really interesting budgets for him to just be in our living room and spin and like put the lights on and you see 50 faces on a Zoom screen and everyone's partying. And this is when it was still kind of fun and cool, right? And right. let's Zoom, let's Zoom. But the more that I kept Zooming for work was the less that socially I had an interest in celebrating another Zoom birthday party. This was now, you know, by June, I was Zoomed out in a social mm-hmm. way. I had done all of the club quarantining with D-Nice and all of the um, the virtual happy hours and trivia games and paint and sips that you could do, <laughs> which were fun. But it started getting warm outside. You know, we were hearing that the virus couldn't survive in warm weather. So maybe by the time the summer came, it would be over. And I remember, you know, wanting my daughter to get fresh air. You know, she was eight, nine months now. And just putting our mask on, uh, my husband, my cousin, and some friends, we created our own bar crawl throughout Harlem, where we got takeout drinks, which was really fun in New York City, something that we could not do before COVID, um, mm-hmm. getting our drinks to go. And we just hopped like to support different Black businesses and had a good time. And through that summer, That's when restaurants kind of adapted to the outdoor seating model. You saw some of the early structures being built for outdoor dining. So that ventilation was in place. And so that was novel and cool, just getting to um, go out to eat after being in the house, isolated all winter and spring Mm -hmm. that summer. Uh, And then George Floyd happens. Yeah. Right. And it was like the record player stopped. Yeah. All, all the good times turned into here we go again. And the closest parallel in my lifetime that I remember living through was the um, the L.A. riots in the 90s mm-hmm. and the march on uh, not the march, the Million Man March. Mm-hmm. And social media and cell phones and actually seeing things like Rodney King was the only police violence that I could recall on camera up until that point Mm -hmm. Um, so vividly and so entrenched in everyday conversation and just the level of exposure points to the video over and over now being in a virtual world and actually uh, being in the house, I think, where CNN was always on TV as we tracked the COVID mm-hmm. virus. It now became 24-7 CNN, MSNBC. Now we're talking about COVID and we're talking about the brutal murder of a Black man. Mm-hmm. Um, so the needle on the record stopped that summer and it became a sad reality check that wow you know here we are we're having the good times we're having the drinks we're socializing but to be black in america is still a very brutal literally uh experience and Mm -hmm. reality check for so many of us working in the social impact space for myself in particular it 
proved to give opportunity for companies to address some issues of unconscious bias that I think have been, you know, accepted as the norm and okay for far Mm -hmm. too long. And I remember the company that I was with having a open space for us to unpack it as employees and to come to Zoom. And I was one of two Black women working as a small company. And obviously I felt a duty for my voice to be heard and my experiences to be heard and my fears to be heard and understood by my colleagues. And I think that was the first time for so many of them, so many, you know, non-people of color to hear from their peers and to hear from their colleagues what life was really like for us or is really like for us on a day-to-day basis. And that this threat is something that even in your best, most successful living and moments is looming and something that um, could impact any one of us or our loved ones. So I appreciated that the company that I worked for allowed that open space, allowed time off for us to process what happened. Um, And I don't take for granted that that was a gift that a lot of people were not given at that time until the public pressure continued to mount for corporations to face what was happening. And Mm. I think that was like a groundswell moment as we went into July and August of 2020 and the protesting increased and BLM became, you know, the face of the change that we wanted to see happen. It was at this time that uh, the company I'm with now, which is Paramount, decided that they needed someone with an expertise in race, culture, and identity work to come lead that work for the MTV Entertainment Group side of the business. And uh, someone I admire very much, who was the former president of MTV, reached out to me and said, you know, I really want to talk to you urgently. Um, There's an opportunity here that I think you'd be perfect for. And we had talked in the past about me returning back to my roots because that's where my first ever internship was as as an 18-year-old at MTV. Um, And so... That 2020 Q3, Q4 became a gift and a curse for I think a lot of successful uh, professional Black folks where companies were scrambling to hire heads of DEI, heads of social impact, start um, ERGs and bring consultants on board. And so I saw that not only myself, making an extra $100,000 plus with this new role. All of my peers were like, oh shit, we're, we're doing well right now in light of racial reckoning that's happened this summer. Um, but at what expense, right? It was at the expense of a father, a loved one, and, and police brutality at that. However, I could say that stuff was going to happen 
regardless if, if we benefited or not. So I'm glad that we were able to benefit from making a change and having a voice in these spaces um, who so often have ignored Black colleagues in our experiences day-to-day working in these big complex organizations and small ones too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, since then I've been with the same company. I, a month ago, got a great promotion to lead the largest company-wide DEI effort on our corporate side of things. And it's been my responsibility to continue to hold the mirror in front of us to say, you know, just because protesting isn't happening right now, and just because you gave your monetary gifts to all of these organizations, doesn't mean that we can turn our back or go go forward business as usual, May 2020 and earlier, right? Mm -hmm. There still needs to be a functional, heart-driven change in how we go about the business of internal relations, external culture shifting moments. Um, And then in that time too, for me and my family, my daughter got older, um, felt a little bit more comfortable with her going into a school setting when she turned two years old. Um, We were able to purchase our first home, which (laughs) was a process that started in December 2019. And our interest rates back then were 3.8, which we were being told was really good. You got to jump on it now. And life happened. We didn't take advantage of that. And after being stuck in the house for so long, you know, during COVID, it was like, no, we really need the space. We really need some fresh air. Crime had increased in our area in the Bronx. You know, I think people were just going stir crazy and wanted to be outside and wanted to get into something. Um, The administration, the Biden administration worked, I guess, with the Fed or whatever, but the interest rate dropped to 2.4 for us. And so we, like everybody else in New York City, were fighting to get into the suburbs to have that space because we knew what being stir crazy looked like during the prime of COVID. So it took us about nine months 30 plus bids that we lost out on to people with cash offers, buckets of money coming from Wall Street, coming from the Upper East Side, trying to get into Jersey suburbs, Westchester suburbs. And after seeing so many homes, I kind of felt like the princess in the pea was like, this is not so right. This isn't it. This so I, I could adapt, but this isn't the exact house I want we found a fixer-upper that was a blank slate that Mm -hmm. we could just come in. We worked with a Black construction team. We worked with a Black interior designer to make it exactly what we wanted. And of course, that went over time and over budget. But when all was said and done, we were able to get our dream home at a great interest rate. Is that your two-year-old? 
who's coming in with her bonnet from that time. Hi, how are you? Masonia. <laughs> She's so cute. Thank you. Oh. So, yes, hopefully now all she knows is a house and space and air. And we just, we had to, to make that move and, and those adjustments. So, yeah. wow. Congratulations on your purchasing a home. Thank you. Thank you. Again, one of those things where it was a horrible moment in history, but it was a small glimmer of opportunity access that we were able to take advantage of with the super low interest rates and um, the availability of this house. Thank you. Oh, and the last question is, is there anyone you'd like to memorialize who may have sadly lost their life? You know, I did not, thank God, know anyone personally who lost their life to COVID. Mm -hmm. I will say I have such a deep appreciation for the unsung heroes, mm -hmm. the Instacart delivery drivers, the mm -hmm. restaurants that still stayed open to provide for our families during that time. I, I think they, they just have not gotten the recognition and respect that they deserved for putting themselves in harm's way to make mm -hmm. sure that all of us were okay. The grocery store workers who did not know who they were being exposed to. Right. Um, and, you know, through the early days, didn't have PPE, you know, finding masks was not an easy thing. I feel like I only had it in the early stages because of his role mm. with MCA. Um, and so I just know, sadly, that many of those folks became very ill as a result of it. Mm -hmm. um, and so a thanks and in memoriam to them as well. And, you know, for me, I caught COVID December 2021, mm. uh, <laughs> which was, I waited this long and I, it was a week after my booster shot. Oh. And we were feeling so good. We got Kevin Hart tickets and we had two extra seats so that nobody was sitting next to us. Right. And as soon as we got home from Kevin Hart, let's say we got home around midnight at three in the morning, my brain was like, you have COVID, you have COVID. My throat was so sore. I could not swallow. I couldn't think of anything except, oh, you, you have COVID. I called my daughter's pediatrician eight in the morning um, because he offers free testing to families in the practice. And 20 minutes after I took the test, I was in the car. He's like, go straight home. You have mm -hmm. it. And my husband had it. And this was the week of Christmas. We got oh. my daughter out of here. She spent Christmas with my mom. We did the 10-day the quarantine in the house to make sure we were all right. And you know, thankfully, no um, long-lasting impact to either of us, and, and we're okay. So, Thank goodness. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate you sharing your experience for me for, for posterity. I envision students in the future listening to your story and hearing exactly what it was like to live during this time period. 
So thank you. Yeah. Anything else I can do for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. And I don't think you have my cell number, so I'll, I'll send it. Thank you for listening to my conversation for my oral history project, Black America and COVID. If you are a Black American and you would like to share your experience working, living, and or going to school during the COVID-19 pandemic, then you can email me at sonykillabrew at gmail.com. My email is in the show notes of the podcast. You can also message me on Instagram through the podcast show account, Black America and COVID, all lowercase, all one word. And if you are a non-Black American and you would like to memorialize the life of someone who sadly passed away, who was a Black American during the COVID-19 pandemic, then please email me or message me. Also, if you would give the podcast five stars wherever you listen to podcasts, it would give our the podcast more visibility, which would in turn allow me to reach more people to interview. So thank you again for listening. My name is Sonia Jean Killebrew, and this is Black America and COVID, an oral history project.